So we are doing a series on the seven deadly sins, uh, the sins that uh, ruin our lives, ruin society, ruin the world. Uh, sin is taken out of the vocabulary of, uh, of, the, of our society, and yet uh, there's so much evidence for sin in our own personal lives, as well as in our society and in our world as well. And, uh, and as you see there, there are the seven deadly sins, pride, sloth, greed, wrath, gluttony, envy, and lust. And so today we are going to look at uh, pride. Pride is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness. The putting of one's own desires and urges, wants, and whims before the welfare of other people. In even more destructive cases, it is irrationally believing that one is essentially and necessarily better, superior, or more important than others. We use words like egotistical, or arrogant, or selfish, or vain, or conceited, or boastful to describe proud people and the expression of pride. Uh, another biblical word is the word haughty. Uh, it is the root of all evils. Jared Wilson writes, pride is the DNA of every other sin. Pride is essentially self-worship. And since all sin is a failure to worship God, pride is therefore the root sin from which all other sins come. And so envy gluttony and lust and greed and sloth all find their roots in pride. Pride is uh, that which sees kind of really the self as ultimate, right? Because really life ultimately revolves around me and it's about my attention and it's about my way and what matters most is my name and people pay attention to me and listen to me and Treat me as special. You think about the whole self-esteem movement, right? What does that center around? That's all centered around me, and it's all ultimately about pride. I want to be told, and we tell one another about how special and pretty and smart and funny and talented and lovable that we are. Pride looks down. Pride is always looking down. Pride never looks up. Pride always looks down. Looks down on other people, people of other races, political persuasions, economic status. We, we uh, secretly very often judge people in our hearts according to uh, where they shop, what they wear, what they look like, how much they weigh, where they send their kids to school, what they do for a living or whatever. Sometimes it's expressed in very obvious ways and other times it's expressed in very quiet ways just in our own minds, and our own thinking, where we're thinking to ourselves, I'm better than he, she, they are, I, or I could do better. I, I would never have done something like that. I, I would never let that happen. How I just love, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why, shows like Survivor and other reality shows or whatever, it's just, just like, man, what, what, are, what are we doing for the most part when we watch those shows? I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. Why well, that person's such an idiot? I hope they vote so and so off. Oh, I can't. They blew it. Just like, oh, 
just constantly, right? And I would do better. Pride is essentially competitive. C.S. Lewis writes, oh, and he's got a lot of great things, which means a lot of scary things that he writes about pride in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, or better looking than others. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride has Okay, so there's a quick summary of what pride is. What it, where does it come from? What underlies it? Pride is basically, if we look at it scripturally, pride is really to substitute oneself for God. It is to put oneself in the place of God. Remember Adam and Eve and how Satan tempts them in the garden. And, uh, and, and Satan says, you know, can you eat from, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? And then Eve says, well, we can, we can eat from any of the trees except for this one, because if we eat of it, you know, we'll die. And oh no, you're not going to die. God knows that if you eat of it, you will be like God. And so Eve ate and Adam ate as well. And, uh, we have been trying to be like God ever since. Lewis Smedes writes, Pride in the religious sense is the arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. In the vivid language of the Bible, pride is puffing yourself up in God's face. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator. Independence. Reliant on no one's own, reliant on one's own resources. Never does pride want to pray for strength, ask for grace, plead for mercy, or give thanks to God. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies, the cosmic put on. How many of us, as well, in our own pride or arrogance, will say, "You know, I know what the Bible says, but I will do what I want with my money." with my body, with my time. Um, uh, I decide my identity. I will accept from the Bible what I want and what I do not want. And then, of course, what does pride reveal about what we think about God? Ultimately, that he's not worthy, that he's not actually great, that he does not deserve my devotion, that he's not wise, that he's not perfect, He's not glorious. He doesn't know what's best. He can't be trusted in. He can't be relied on. I got to take matters into my own hands. Plus, I know how to run the universe much better than he does. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm so glad I'm not one of those proud people. You know, and pride, of course, as I said last week, right? The proud person is always the last to know. You know, and, I, and, and there, there's not a whole lot of people, you know, people will say, you know, help me with, 
you know, this addiction or that problem or my anger or whatever. Not too many people. And I've never, I don't think I've ever had, come, had anybody come to me for counseling and saying, you know what, my issue is pride. If you could really help me with my pride, you know, I would just like, we find out that's actually their issue, but they never come with that in the, in the forefront. So um, to help us all feel terrible, um, we have some pride diagnostics. And we're going to do this for all of the seven deadly sins. Uh, here are some. There's actually two slides. Look over your last several social media updates. Do a large percentage of them complain about something? Do you struggle often with impatience or short-temperedness? Is it common for others to charge you with being too defensive? squirming yet. Uh, do you spend a lot of time worrying about what others think of you? Is it difficult to let it go when your accomplishments aren't recognized or you're not congratulated? Do people close to you perceive you as either lazy or a workaholic? Is it hard for you to ask for or receive help? Do you have a tendency to sulk or feel sorry for yourself when you are disappointed or things don't go your way? Let's keep going. Do you have little patience or compassion towards those who are poor or homeless? Have you been accused of being judgmental or critical? Are you quick to give advice to others or correct others? Do you tend to disregard the advice of others? Is it hard to hear constructive criticism? Are you slow to admit fault or to apologize? Are you overly obsessed with your physical appearance? Are you unwilling or reluctant to submit to authority? Are you um, too busy to pray? Take it off, Josh. Take it off. We don't want to see anymore. All right. All right. By the way, they're in your notes. You're just like, what were some of those? But, um, man, I, I probably had five or six at least uh, of those. Um, yeah, I tend to feel sorry for myself when things don't go my way. Um, I like to give advice rather than hear it. Um, not so great with criticism. Um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, yeah, I like attention and congratulations. Yep, yep, yep. Hard to ask for, receive help. Yep. All right. So much of it. Okay, so um, that's pride. And so where the question is, where is pride showing up? For you, and by the way, of course the list could go on and on and on. But where is pride showing up for you? Until we admit our problem, there's no way out of the problem. And of course, the way out is through uh, repentance. But first we have to see uh, where uh, pride shows up in our lives. And so we need to constantly be praying and saying, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my mind. Show me if there is any pride within me. Because pride, of course, is very dangerous. It leads to ruin. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Uh, and the reality is nothing, nothing will keep you out of heaven more than pride. Because in order to get into heaven means that we need, we need to admit that we're guilty, that we need a Savior. But pride believes that either I don't need to be saved because I'm good. 
I'm a worthy person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm an acceptable person, so I don't need to be saved. Or pride says, I can save myself. Through my devotion, my hard work, turning over another leaf, my good deeds and efforts and discipline, I can save myself. But salvation, of course, requires that we come to an end of ourselves. We come to that place similar to the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee saying, I got this. God, thank you for how wonderful I am. And then there's the tax collector who says, um, have mercy on me, a sinner. And of course, the ultimate destruction of pride is hell and eternal ruin. Uh, God's attitude towards the proud, since uh, pride is that which is the rival to God and actually puts itself over and above God, it's not surprising that we find in Scripture God's attitude towards the proud to be quite severe and scary. For instance, Proverbs 15.25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I, the Lord, hate. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And then twice in the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, God opposes the proud. Lots and lots of scary things that we have in Scripture with regards to pride. And then, of course, we have Daniel 4 and the... the Really, Daniel 4 is like a case study on pride. And I'm just going to unpack it very briefly, just looking at a few verses. Going back to verse 29 of Daniel 4, it says, At the end of 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Right? Nebuchadnezzar. He's basically kind of master of the universe. Like literally at that time, he was the most powerful person in the entire world. The uh, emperor of the greatest emperor, uh, empire of the time. Maybe the greatest empire of all time. And uh, rather than giving glory and thanks to God, which he was warned to do uh, in this dream and why God gives him this dream, he basically worships himself, right? Which is what pride does, right? Look at, is not this the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power, right? I did it. I built it for the glory of my majesty, right? It's all about me. It's all about my, my, um, my power. Look at how glorious I am, right? Think about the same thing about us and our accomplishments and our possession. Look what I got. Look what I did. Look at my business. Look at my house. Look at, look, look at what I own. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I look like. Look at my grades. Look at my awards. Look at, uh, look at my talent. I've done this. I've achieved this. All the things that I have because, you know, I, I deserve it and I'm worthy. I'm so smart. I work so hard. I'm so wise. I'm so talented. I, right? And we forget that everything that we are, everything that we have, right? All of our gifts, all of our abilities, our looks, everything else. We didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. Right, all of that, and for Nebuchadnezzar too, it wasn't ultimately, it wasn't about him. God gave him the ability to get everything that he got and to rise to the position that he did. 
And he refused to acknowledge that even every breath was a gift of God. He owed God everything. But he wanted, as pride always does, and how it works in our lives as well, he wanted glory for himself. And then verse 31, as God had warned, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom we will. Just like, man... Wouldn't that be great if that happened to President Putin and others? Uh, But, hey, let's not go too far with that because we all have something in common with this man. Basically, uh, Tim Keller points out uh, in this example that basically he becomes, Nebuchadnezzar becomes an basically like an animal, to demonstrate that what's actually going on inside of him. See, because animals, of course, animals are not compassionate. Animals are only out for themselves, right? Animals are, are not empathetic creatures. It's just all about, sure, if they, you know, they're, they're satisfied if you know, they have enough to eat or whatever and, and such, but they, they don't weep with those who weep. They don't rejoice with those who rejoice, right? So pride, in other words, doesn't make you more human. Pride makes you less than human. And so basically the Lord is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Listen to me because you insisted on becoming more than what I made you to be. You will become less than I made you to be. And because you aspire to be more than a man, you've become now less than a man. And so for seven times, he's just, whether that means seasons or years or whatever, you know, he's just like a wild beast out in the field. Okay, so how do we get free? So there's, there's the ugliness of pride, God opposed to pride, God judging pride. So how do we get free from pride? The ultimate antidote, which shouldn't be a surprise, is, uh, is the gospel. The ultimate antidote is Jesus himself and the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning at the end of verse 5, we read these words. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, the NIV says, made himself nothing, by taking the form of a servant, being, formed, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in the gospel, Jesus Christ, right, the word of God, the ultimate somebody, the only being who could actually boast about anything, the greatest beyond compare became nothing. He humbled himself all the way to death, naked on a cross. So in other words, we could say that pride, if pride is about us substituting ourselves for God, The gospel is about God substituting himself for us. And it's interesting in Isaiah 52, 
here's a, here's a description, a prophetic description of Jesus in his sacrifice. See if it reminds you of anybody. It says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. It's like Jesus himself became like Nebuchadnezzar. He became animal-like. He doesn't even look, he's, he's so beaten and bruised and bleeding and everything else. He doesn't even look like a human being anymore. Looks more like an animal. Looks like Nebuchadnezzar in his, in his fallen state. And so Jesus becomes this animal like as he dies for our pride, paying the just penalty for our sin. And so the cross then is the place where we actually get the greatest vision and glimpse of who we are in our pride, the truest pictures of ourselves. How desperate, how vile, how helpless, how lost we are in and of ourselves that, that Jesus had to had to save us. There's no way we could save ourselves. How completely humbling it is as we gaze upon Jesus the Savior, just beaten beyond recognition. There he is, dying and bleeding for who? For you, for me, because that's what we deserve. That's who we are. But also we see how precious and treasured and loved that we are, that Jesus went to the cross willingly, that he wanted to save us. See, the gospel declares that you and I are not the center of the universe. However, the gospel also declares that the center of the universe, Jesus, thinks the world of you and gave himself for you. And by doing so, he frees us from the penalty and the power of pride. And then it gets better. It gets better, worse for pride and better for Jesus, better for us. Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. He is given the highest of all positions. He is given the name that is above every name. And he receives all praise and glory and honor. And the Christian is the one who recognizes that reality and loves that reality. The Christian is the one who says, who cares about me? The only thing and the only one that matters is this glorious one who gave his life for me, who rose from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God. He alone is worthy. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, it says that what, everything changed for him when he looked up. Remember, pride always looks down. And finally, he looked up. He looked up to heaven. And, uh, and that's basically his repentance. And then all of a sudden his sanity is restored and his honor and splendor are returned to him. Uh, his throne is returned to him. And it says that he was actually even greater than before. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But friends, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar is nothing compared to what happens to you and to me when we come to Christ. That we're elevated out of our sin. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We're adopted by God. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2. Not above him, but for some reason we're sitting with him and we're sitting beside him. 
And then look at Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 37. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, <laughs> he is able to humble. Friends, when we, when we get the gospel, when we get it, we begin to wean ourselves off of ourselves and off of our pride. And we get so enamored by the glory and the love and sacrifice and goodness of Jesus that we really pay very little attention to ourselves because we just don't matter so much anymore. Instead, we, we walk in humility, which is the opposite of pride. Right? Humility is, is to think of ourselves less. Not to think less of ourselves, just to think of ourselves less. And to think of God and to think of others more. And the Christian is so secure in the honor that he or she has in Christ that they, don't, they just don't need to seek the praise and attention from others. They don't need it anymore. Instead, they can just freely give praise and attention to if you're not a Christian, what you need to understand is that pride is your greatest enemy and it will lead to your own ruin, far worse than what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It will keep you from God. It'll keep you from heaven. It'll lead to destruction. And so if you say, how do I get free? How do I get life? And the answer is humble yourself. Humble yourself. Go to the cross where the greatest of all humbled himself, and died for you. Come to Jesus and say, I am a sinner, and I'm lost, and I'm helpless, and I'm broken, and I'm hopeless without you. I cannot save myself, but I cast myself at your mercy and at your feet. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and forgive me, and wash me, and accept me. And whoever humbles himself like that the Lord will exalt and elevate as he unites you to Jesus himself. Amen. Let's pray together.